Al Jazeera podcast. Tens of thousands of people are fleeing to Armenia, many of them leaving the only home they've ever known. They were shooting on the right. They were shooting on the left. And we left, one by one. We didn't even have clothes. They're leaving Nagorno-Karabakh, a small region in the Caucasus that's internationally recognized as part of Azerbaijan. But ethnic Armenians live there, and they call this region Artsakh. It's been fought over for a long time. Now, a major chapter has ended. Last week, Azerbaijan launched what it called an anti-terror operation in Nagorno-Karabakh. Its military overwhelmed the local forces and the local government. Azerbaijan's president, Ilham Aliyev, declared victory. Five days ago, we fully insured and repaired our full sovereignty as a result of anti-terrorism measures that were enacted within 24 hours, even less, the Armenian army that was illegally settled in Azerbaijan territory surrendered. It accepted our conditions, and thus, Azerbaijan fully ensured the sovereignty of its own government. Now, there's an exodus. Armenians say they fear ethnic cleansing. Azerbaijan has promised integration. But Armenia's Prime Minister, Nikol Pashinyan, says he expects 120,000 people there to leave. That's the entire ethnic Armenian population of the region. I would describe it in a word, we are under occupation. The assault that has just happened, it is like your, your house being on fire and your whole family is trapped inside, and the police are have put you in handcuffs and won't let you go in and save them for your own safety. So is this the end of the Nagorno-Karabakh region as we know it? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. At the heart of this story is a small piece of land, just three miles or five kilometers wide. It's called the Lachin Corridor. And if you're not from Armenia or Azerbaijan, you may not have heard of it. But if you are, it's a place that's hard to forget. And that's where one of Al Jazeera's correspondents has been for the past few days. I'm Osama bin Javed. I'm a correspondent for Al Jazeera English. I've been reporting on the conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia And in the most recent reporting, we were on the Lachin Corridor, which is being used by thousands of ethnic Armenians to go from Azerbaijan into Armenia. It is still heavily militarized, and access to it is both difficult uh, in terms of geography as well as permissions. By the time we got there, people had already started to flee. We saw a steady stream of people packed with whatever they could put on their cars, in their bags, on their lorries, in their trucks, some on their tractors, uh, some being towed by other cars, leaving for what they feel is going to be safety. Osama says they're leaving the region because it's now being taken over by Azerbaijan. There have been two wars in Nagorno-Karabakh in the last 30 years. The last one was in 2020. Then, on September 19th, Azerbaijan launched a rapid military operation. 
gunfire and fear. On the streets of Stepanakert, the main city in Nagorno-Karabakh, panic took over as mortars pounded its surroundings. It was over in less than 24 hours. This puts the ethnic Armenians in a very difficult position. Although they've been given a choice that they can stay and leave, they don't really see it as a choice. Alison Timizian Muse is an Armenian-American who moved to Nagorno-Karabakh last year. You heard her at the beginning of this episode. I've been working as a journalist in the region in the Middle East for the past decade. Uh, I decided to move to Armenia uh, after the 2020 war, wanting to understand what was happening. Alison wasn't in Nagorno-Karabakh when the offensive was launched, though. And now she can't get back in. It's something she's been thinking a lot about. I feel guilt for not being there on the ground. I feel guilt that I was out when the road closed, that I'm not there on the ground reporting. There's a limited number of English speakers with the capability to tell the story to the outside world. I feel guilty we didn't get in satellite phones that, you know, people are just enduring this in darkness. You know, it's uh, it, it's for me as a journalist who's been working for 10 years in the Middle East, watching this happen in real time and watching us uh, basically be rendered stateless is, uh, is something that I feel the need to uh, scream from the rooftops. And Osama witnessed the thousands of ethnic Armenians leaving Nagorno-Karabakh in droves. We saw them in their buses. We saw people in their broken down cars being towed by others. We saw people uh, piled up on the back of uh, dumper trucks. Uh, we saw military vehicles. Uh, we saw everything that you can possibly imagine. Even a tractor uh, had uh, bags attached to its farming equipment. Uh, so people are leaving with whatever they can. Old people, young people, children in people's laps. Having spent the past few days there, Osama says the signs of the military takeover are clear. There are multiple police checkpoints uh, getting in and out of every region of Karabakh uh, where you have to show your ID, where you, and because it is a heavily militarized zone, uh, you have to have prior access approval uh, unless you are a resident of that area. And when you speak to Armenians, a young man who's 25 years old, who was born in this, in this territory and who's seen nothing but this territory as their home, why they're being uprooted is very difficult for them to understand. So it is a very nuanced and very uh, conflict-ridden area where both sides have very strong feelings about this land. To understand why people feel this way, you have to understand the history. From more recent decades... It is not unprecedented that thousands of people are leaving in the 1990s, when there was a war between Azerbaijan and Armenia, Armenia took over Azerbaijani territory. This is land that is internationally recognized as Azerbaijani territory. And that includes the Karabakh region and the cities that were in Karabakh. When the Armenians took over, estimates from hundreds of thousands to nearly a million people 
were forced to leave their homes, uh, some of them literally overnight. Uh, pictures show them some uh, freezing to death. Uh, there have been reports of massacres which happen. But the history goes all the way back to centuries ago. Just giving one example of how ancient and sacred it is for Armenians, the first school where the Armenian script was uh, taught is in Artsakh. It dates back to the 5th century, and it's located in a monastery that originates from the 4th century. And this monastery was just conquered for the first time in our entire history last week. What's happening today comes back to that Lachin corridor, the small strip of land where Osama's been reporting. What is new this time around is that our Azerbaijan accused the uh, leaders there of using that uh, corridor to enhance their military capability and about a week ago launched another offensive which it called a counter-terrorism offensive uh, to target uh, military installations, to target fighters and where they were storing weapons. Another Al Jazeera correspondent, Bernard Smith, is just over the border on the Armenian side of the corridor. I'm currently in Goris, which is uh, a town near the border with Armenia and Azerbaijan. And the people Bernard spoken to, coming out of the Lachin Corridor, see it differently. They feel that Azerbaijan has effectively sealed them off for the last nine months. It's a tiny little bit complicated, but essentially it was a main road linking Nagorno-Karabakh to Armenia, the shortest, quickest route between the two places. Azerbaijan effectively cut that off, but said the ethnic Armenians, you can use this other route, but this route is much longer and more circuitous, and it's controlled by Azerbaijan. The ethnic Armenians said, no, we're not going to use that route because we do not want to be subjected to your control. So essentially they left to starve because there was no food coming in. They were living on crusts of bread in the last month or so. Allison also feels guilty about that. I should have been one of these people who's been starved for the past nine months and uh, maybe dead because I was actually living there and went, you know, I just so happened to be in Yerevan when the blockade began. For me, Nagorno-Karabakh, Artsakh, it's, I don't really care what terminology anyone uses, just like I don't care if anyone labels Dolma as Armenian or Azri. My, you know, for me, what's most important is to protect the right to self-determination. What is going on now is not simply about Artsakh's ability to exist as an autonomous, uh, you know, self-governed region but it's actually about Armenia itself and the future of the region. Allison says the reasons people are leaving are clear, but it's given people a stark choice, risk staying or risk leaving through the Lachin Corridor. I mean, in the 2020 war and even during the 2022 September attacks on Armenia, Azri forces were very um, open about their atrocities. We've seen what has happened to, you know, the POWs from the 2020 war are still in Baku. Some of them have, you know, been tortured to death. 
So it's the idea of actually going on that road and going through an Azeri checkpoint where any man is very likely to be arrested and just taken into Azeri captivity is, you know, worse than, you know, death on in your own soil for many people. And for, for the men, and then imagine for the woman, imagine you're, you know, one of the families I know. The man was the mayor of one of the towns that was handed over by Pashinyan, where I lived last summer. Uh, he and his wife, they have six children, including a baby. His elderly mother is there, and his, uh, you know, he is actually a descendant, like many of us, of Armenian genocide survivors. Uh, his mother is from Kamishli in Syria. You know, he's one of the top wanted people. And so imagine you're in the position of his wife or his elderly mother. Are you going to accept to leave with your children and your baby when your husband is going to be tortured to death and killed? It's a very difficult situation. Are they staying? Until now, um, I, to be honest, I don't know. They're, the contact yeah. is uh, is broken. Right communications down. More on the reverberations in Armenia now, after the break. But first, we're hearing from you, our listeners. September 30th is International Podcast Day. So we asked what you like about podcasts and the take. Here's what you told us. My name is Marissa Kethan, and I'm coming to you from Los Angeles, California. I listen to The Take because I'm an American and a lot of the news agencies around here tend to be really insular. Your podcast somehow captures that wider lens while also honing in on the particularities of whatever it is you're talking about. And I really appreciate that. So thank you for doing what you do and keep it up. On the Inside Story podcast this week, a strong reaction led by the United Nations to calls by the UK's Interior Minister for an overhaul of international law covering migration. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Azerbaijan has invited ethnic Armenians to stay in Nagorno-Karabakh, even now. But the likelihood of that happening is low, Osama says. It is going to be very difficult for any ethnic Armenian to stay behind because of the hate-filled history that they have had, not just centuries ago, uh, but in the last three decades. It's a human, it's a human tragedy when this many people uh, have to move. Uh, and when I put this question to Azerbaijani officials, they said, look, we, we can only give assurances. There's only so much that we can say. And we are giving the Armenians, ethnic Armenians, a choice to stay, something that was not given to us 30 years ago. We are giving them assurances that they can stay and they, they will be able to live as free Azerbaijani citizens. I asked Alison what she thought of those assurances. Even though we've seen these images of people fleeing to Armenia this week, Azerbaijan's president, Ilham Aliyev, has said he wants to integrate them into the country. He's promised to guarantee the rights and the security of Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh. And some members of the community have met with Azerbaijani authorities to discuss potential reintegration. Keeping those things in mind, how viable is this process? 
Well, the Azeris describe it as reintegration, but it is impossible to reintegrate Armenians into Azerbaijan because uh, through the, you know, through the history of the Republic of Azerbaijan, Ar Artsakh has always been autonomous. Uh, they have never been under independent Azeri rule. So a short answer to your question is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mm. Uh, those meetings, yes, they were described by the Azeri authorities as, you know, this is part of reintegration, but no agreement has been come to, really. Mm. I mean, there's still kind of a standoff going on. I'm interested in hearing what the reaction has been like in Armenia over the past week or so to people who are streaming in from Nagorno-Karabakh. Are they welcoming them? Are, are, are there efforts to integrate them into Armenia proper? It's, you know, this is a very, very painful subject because, you know, um, it never should have come to this. The Armenian government has finally after nine months of its people being under siege, sent helicopters only when it was time to evacuate wounded. So um, I would say that a lot of the effort is being led by volunteers, people helping each other out. There's many Armenian diaspora organizations and organizations inside Armenia, private individuals, uh, you know, Armenian businessmen. One pledged that he will build a thousand houses for these Armenians in Tashir, which is near the border with Georgia, mm. uh, which is the right thing to do because that is as far from all of this as possible and they shouldn't have to go through another displacement. A lot of these people have been displaced more than once mm -hmm. from the 2020 war, some of them three times. So, Allison... There have also been protests in the Armenian capital, Yerevan, calling for Prime Minister Pashinyan to resign. Outside the Armenian parliament in Yerevan, crowds gathered to protest against the renewed military operations, urging the government to do more to protect the people of Nagorno-Karabakh. Talk to me about those protests and why he's being held responsible. Well, Pashinyan, I mean... One day he says there's no threat to Armenians in Artsakh. The next day he says uh, they're all going to leave. They're, it's going to empty out. He is going to do whatever he wants, whether people are with him or not. Uh, even though he came to power, uh, you know, under the flag of democracy and anti-corruption, and he's been anything but. There were American university students hauled out of the university by his police forces. Journalists have had their bank accounts frozen. And there have been protests against Pashinyan on and off since the end of the war in 2020. Now, Allison says, the pushback has reached a new level. To be honest, I wasn't expecting anything this week because of the attack, because of the shock. But when Pashinyan said that the Armenian army would not be going to the defense of our people, and not only that, Volunteers are not able to get to Artsakh, even if they want to fight. Now, I, you know, people, the anger is so raw. But unlike protests last summer against Pashinyan, where it was mostly opposition parties, you'd go, you'd see people you know. Now I see all sorts of people, and especially the students, because they see 
that it is the Armenian government that's been working hand in glove with Azerbaijan and Turkey to basically um, close uh, this case as they see it. But the case, it appears, is nowhere near closed. One of our drivers, uh, as we came down after hours of spending time looking at the distressed faces of people who were having to leave their homes, he sat down and he asked us, do you think that this war is over? Do you think that people uh, are never going to come back to this region? And I think uh, from working in conflict zones across the Middle East and other places, a conflict can only be over once a people reach reconciliation. If the conflict is being decided by who has the mightiest military and the biggest socio-political influence amongst the uh, elite of, of the world's rulers, uh, then it has all the ingredients to continue to simmer under the surface and then burst again. And that's The Take. To hear the whole backstory of how Nagorno-Karabakh got to this point, check out our episode from 2020. We'll link it in the show's description. This episode was produced by Ashish Malhotra and Amy Walters, with David Enders, Khaled Sultan, Miranda Lynn, Chloe K. Lee, Bernisa Campana, Sariel Khalili, Zaina Bazar, Sonia Bagat, and me, Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.